Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and I hope you had a lovely Valentine's slash Galentine's Day. Remember, you have to love yourself before you can love someone else, and yes, ordering pizza does count. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what my partner and I are doing anyway. We're going to stream video games and order pizza, because where else are we going? Uh, <laughs> this week on the 1099, I am honored to have two high-quality folks from the world of video game QA. That's quality assurance, if you didn't know. From QA Quest, it's Chloe Reed. Hi, Chloe. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I feel like I want to come to your Valentine's Day with pizza and video games. Hell yeah. Mm. I'm sure my partner Aiden would love that. Yeah, uh, they are. They are. Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even responding to my partner yelling across the apartment. Nope, not doing that. And from Vancouver's very own East Side Games, it's Shane Elliott. How you doing, Shane? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me on. And Chloe, it's great to finally speak to you in person as well. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like I I moved away from Vancouver like six months ago, so there's oh. probably so many ways in which our paths have almost crossed, but not quite. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we're gonna hit some people that we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I want to thank you both for taking some time out of your day and uh, the busy work that you guys are doing uh, to talk about, like, we're going to illuminate some aspects of the world of video game QA. Uh, and our conversation today was spurred in part by uh, about, a, about a month ago, almost to the day uh, that we're recording this, uh, the CD Projekt Red co-founder, uh, Marcin Owinski, um, back in early January, made a video apologizing for the uh, kind of messy states that Cyberpunk 2077 launched in. Mm -hmm. In that video, he somewhat indirectly laid the blame on the QA process falling apart. Now, to be fair, a CD Projekt's QA lead later came out in support uh, of Owinski and saying, you know, hey, members of our QA team were not mistreated and that no one at the company actually blamed the QA team's work but in a lot of ways, the kind of public perception damage had already been done. And I think the average gamer, uh, understandably, may not have a full understanding of what goes into game QA. And I've been curious myself, too, because um, I, I, I think we all, I think anyone who is like probably over the age of 25 remembers that garbage ad uh for i forget the college but it was like a woman walks into a room with two dude bros saying like hey how's progress on level four coming along oh we're just testing this and and tightening up the graphics on here and it was a laughable uh minimization <laughs> of the actual craft that goes into game development and qa and all that so uh yeah i would love to hear from both of you first off uh how how does someone get into qa how do you how did you get into qa uh chloe we'll start with you so i feel like my path into QA is an extremely, extremely common one. It happened by accident. I was in the right place at the right time. I needed a job and um, through like a friend of a friend happened to work at a studio and they were like, would you be interested in this? And I was like, yeah, I need a job. And I just kind of fell into it. Um, I'd always wanted to work in games. I didn't necessarily have any preference for QA, but you kind of 
hear that QA is commonly the foot in the door approach. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like now my opinion on that kind of um, attitude has kind of changed a little bit, but that's absolutely how it happened for me. I wanted to be in games. So I, I kind of got in at an entry level and kind of have just continued to sort of work away there until the upper echelons where I'm not even sort of testing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, you, you kind of had this like very fortuitous path between um, uh, Electronic Arts Vancouver, uh, we were talking about a second ago, um, working on Dragon Age Inquisition and Plants vs. Zombies uh, Garden Warfare, and then moving on to uh, like Frostbite engine testing. And I'm sure that there's only so much you can say, uh, of course, you know, like regarding confidentiality stuff that, mm-hmm. are, you know, pi- piles of paperwork you've uh, signed. But um, yeah, the, I, I thought the most interesting thing, as I was getting to know you over email, I thought the most interesting thing was you started this uh, site and sort of outlet called QA Quest to kind of uh, do what we're doing here, illuminate the QA process and uh, provide resources for people. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of during my time on Frostbite, we, we've we done a lot, a lot of kind of um, onboarding, like bringing on new hires and stuff like that. And I was sort of a big part of that process. So I would be seeing these kind of um, people that had zero experience, people that have graduated from like comp sci degrees or game design programs. And obviously there's a whole range of different people with different sort of scales of knowledge. But again and again, I was realizing a lot of people have no idea what QA is or how you interact with it. And so it definitely is a blind spot to people that um, want to be in the industry, like people that have gone out and gotten qualifications to be able to work in the industry. So you were saying earlier how gamers don't necessarily know what's going on, but it's like even people that are within the industry sometimes are completely blindsided with what QA is and how it works. So I really wanted to sort of start putting some more of this information out there um sort of in the in the hype of sort of cyberpunk and stuff like that it definitely highlighted how a lot of people don't know how qa works it's very much like oh this game is broken did you even qa at all and it's like yes they absolutely did (laughs) it would have been way worse you have no context for how much worse it would have been if it hadn't been QA'd at all so Mm. I, i really kind of wanted to um bring some sort of insight to um people that want to get into the industry themselves whether that be directly in qa or as game designers or developers or whatever but also to the gamers as well so they can kind of Mm. have a little bit more insight so when they see something like um cyberpunk coming out and the problems that it has they have a little bit more understanding of the journey that the game has gone on to be where it is now and releasing in the state that it was released in and Shane, uh, you know, you similarly uh, have worked up through the years, um, a break here or there, uh, yeah. but you've worked up to a, a QA uh, manager, director uh, kind of position at Eastside Games up there in Vancouver. Yes. Um, and tell me a little bit about your journey uh, getting to that point. Yeah, well, uh, very similar to Chloe. I actually started out uh, at Electronic Arts uh, way back in the day. Um, it, it's funny when we talk about QA being like the, the entry level in a a lot of ways electronic arts where they have their studios it's it's a similar thing um they have so many projects going on they need so many people that they uh go through and hire people um i was brought in as a contractor with ea 
uh, after going to school for game design. Uh, and I would say the biggest thing I learned when I was in school was uh, what not to do, as opposed to what, uh, what I needed <laughs> to do to break into the industry. Um, and eventually I did land a job with Electronic Arts um, and was there for for a while. I can't even remember how long it was. Uh, and then I moved uh to another studio uh, here in Vancouver, Radical Entertainment, uh, still still with QA, but I actually moved into a design role while I was there. Um, and then I moved to another studio, went back to QA, uh, made my way up to being actually QA manager there, went lead, project manager, manager. Uh, and then after there, I actually became a, a producer uh, on some mobile game titles that didn't do very well, but hey, it's an experience. Um, but for me, QA was always, always the big game changer, and that's why I've stuck with uh, QA throughout the years. Uh, it's it's the area where I like being. I can be a mentor for people who are starting in the industry, uh, and collaborate with people who have uh, moved from one studio to another, and still be part of at the manager level anyway, being being part of the decision making process with uh, where our games are going. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an experience. That's for sure. Uh, lots of titles I've worked on and a couple open world titles. So, uh, watching videos of bugs in, uh, in cyberpunk, it's like, I've seen those before. Yep. That looks familiar. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably recreate some of those bugs in your sleep at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can talk about nightmares later. Cause that's uh, definitely part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely also talk a little bit about like mentorship and and just the the way the the ladder of opportunity and uh, career progression works in the QA world or doesn't work. Um, and before we dive into that, I, I think it's worth laying out in fairly basic terms, you know, uh, QA is definitely more than just saying, hey, I found a bug here. Uh, can you guys describe for perhaps like an entry to mid-level uh, QA employee, uh, you know, how, how do you fill a nine to five or longer kind of day? Um, what are the functions that you're performing and uh, what, what does that workflow look like? Ooh, I, I think I'll start from the bottom up and then uh, you can you can take the sort of higher level stuff so you should do more of that stuff, Shane. Sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, entry level people will very much be coming in to work in the morning they will they will get a build hopefully a, a working build sometimes you don't get a, a working build of the game and that sucks um and you'll you'll be given a, a pass a test pass to go through whether that's like a smoke test which is a sort of very high level uh kind of check of all the the main functions whether you're doing slightly more in-depth testing but it will be very much like his here's your test passed. It will have a set of different tests. You will run through all the steps. So it'll be things like load in this level, get to this checkpoint, make sure that this gun mm -hmm. is working in the right way. These sort of, sort of things. It's very important that our tests are that kind of in depth about what you're testing to make sure that um, you're actually checking the same things as other people on your team because it's very easy to be like, oh yeah, this gun works, but it's like, did you use the reload? Did you, all these kind of things, it's very important to keep in mind. Um, so at the very sort of entry level, you're running those tests and you find a bug. Sometimes it will be very much like, okay, go straight into whatever your uh, testing repository is, like Jira or something like that, um, and you, you throw in a bug. Um, 
sometimes even I think right at the at the lower level um it's a lot more like you go and talk to your test lead and then your test lead will sort of put in a bug. I, I hope that we're getting away from that now. Um, I think we trust our testers a lot more than perhaps maybe like 10 years ago. Um, but that's, that's basically what an entry-level tester will do. Uh, next step up from that, I would say, are people that actually write these test cases and write these test plans and sort of think about, okay, we need to test this new feature that's coming down the pipeline. Like, how are we going to test this? How are we going to make sure that we've covered everything? Um, and then there's a little, a little bit more kind of interaction in terms of sort of triaging the bugs and sort of talking to de the developers to get things fixed and sort of checking that the fixes that have gone in are actually fixing things and not breaking new things. Um, we call that regression testing. Um, there's also an element sometimes of checking like the automated testing. So you have like scripts running in the background and you make sure that those have all been running well. Um, and then kind of climbing up the ladder, you get more into the sort of like the, the strategy and defining standards and requirements and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I can I can totally follow up on that. Um, actually, even even looking at um, you know just uh, where we are at Eastside Games with our testing, um, we come in in the uh, in the morning. I, in in normal times uh, these <laughs> days, we log in uh, and start our day. Uh, the the QA analysts that we have. Uh, they know their tasks uh, already. They join the team standup. We have we have smaller uh, project teams, so it's kind of kind of nice that way. Um, and they know just you know what the tasks are for the day, like what people are focused on, what changes may be coming in. Uh, and because it's mobile games, it's also you know what's going out live when, uh, and you know just what the deadlines are and what the focus needs to be. Uh, and from there, they do their testing. They're reviewing issues. Uh, we contract out a lot of QA work as well um, to uh, uh, outsource teams and so we get their reports overnight. Uh, so we do a triage in the morning and go over the issues, make sure that the most important ones are, are taken care of first. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of communication throughout the day throughout the teams, uh, just going from one project to another, uh, checking on things just to see, you know, it's a similar engine uh, that all the games are built on. So it's like, hey, we're running into this issue. Have you seen it before? Uh, just to make sure, you know, if we if we hit it on one game, if it exists on another one, let's make sure that we get it fixed everywhere at the same time. Um, it's it's pretty cool uh, watching that. Uh, my role, <laughs> my role uh, as as a QA manager, I am at the production level, so I am working with the producers uh, and looking more longer term as to you know what the resource needs are for QA, what we're looking at for dates for um, both releasing titles and releasing updates to our titles, uh, and we have a lot of uh, live content that goes out. Uh, we have. Uh, multiple projects that have uh, three different live events every week. So there's just a constant um, push to get the, con the, the game up to date uh, and get the latest stuff out there for the fans. Um, and we're, we're in a good spot with that, which I'm very, very happy about because it was a challenge when we first started uh, doing it. But uh, that's all part of it. You, you have to evolve your strategies as you go along. It's uh, it's worth asking, um, <clears throat> and perhaps this applies more to you, Shane, overseeing the QA process. Uh, uh, the job has to have obviously changed incredibly 
uh, dramatically because of the world we live in and where we're all working from home and the logistical issues that that uh, presents you and um, how how much of an impact has that made on I suppose the the speed and efficiency and the overall quality of uh, the, the the work you put into the games? Yeah, it's, that's a very good question. Um, it was. It was uh, quite a surprise in some ways. We were actually uh, coming up with, I guess, disaster planning is the best way of putting it. So when um, we were first looking at, you know, like the challenges that we may have in Vancouver with coming into work, the CEO pulled me aside one day and said, how how are you with coming in? Like, are you nervous? And it's like, no, I'm good. I'm good so far. Part of my job is being observant. So I'm watching what people are doing and touching all around me. Um but we also, because it's mobile games, it's a lot easier than working on, you know, the latest Sony product or the latest uh, Xbox uh, games that are coming out because, you know, we can grab our devices and go home. And, you know, we can, we can do our work from home a lot easier. Other people on the development team, it's not as easy. Uh, I think of the artists, especially with uh, the work that they have to do. Um, but we actually... We got set up pretty darn quick, and I was uh, I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, and I attended a, a conference the, uh, online, but it was in Berlin, so we're on Berlin time, uh, which was quite the time difference for me. Uh, and just hearing how other studios were working with, um, you know, working on games for the PlayStation Five, they couldn't exactly take, uh, you know, a top secret console home and work on it, and just like how everybody yeah. was coming to terms with, you know, working from home and uh, dialing in remotely. Uh, and I think we all agreed the biggest challenge, like beyond any of that, is communication. It is just such a key thing. And a lot of it gets lost when you're working from home because you're siloed uh, in such a way that you just you don't know what the person who would normally sit next to you is actually doing. You know, it's like they could literally be in the bathroom and you're trying to get a message out of them so it was you know setting up expectations for you know how we're communicating when we should expect to get a message back from someone um and even you know making sure that we're keeping in contact uh something you and i were talking about off the uh, top before we started this um you know having the the soft skills and the back and forth uh and meeting with uh, uh the qa analysts on the team uh, is, you know, making sure that they're they're doing good, you know, that they are getting some, you know, contact and they can see my face and it's not just uh, uh, typed characters on a screen. Um, so mm. if I come across as terse in a, in a message, if they're talking to me, they can see it's like, I'm not I'm not mad about this. You know, I've just I type fast <laughs> and, you know, it's like it's not a personality thing. Please don't be upset because it's very, very easy uh, for our emotions to actually show uh, in in our messages, and we can really take things out of context context fast. Um, the the other thing I was thinking of there is we actually had we had some people who really struggled with working from home. Um, so we had we had some turnover that we had to deal with uh, over the past year. Uh, so that just presented new challenges when it came to hiring uh, and getting people ramped up and onboarded when. You know, they've never been in our physical studio before. Uh, lots of challenges with that, but uh, we've been overcoming them, too, just because, again, we've been communicating and talking about what we need to fix. Yeah, I definitely agree with um, your kind of observation about 
Q, I feel like QA especially is really important to have some kind of FaceTime, some kind of, you know, you can't really hide behind emails because there's just so many things that can get lost in the kind of translation, as you were saying, Shane. Um, but the, there's this kind of kind of this ongoing joke within QA where it's like you send a bug off to a developer and they're like, it works on my machine. Well, <laughs> the solution to that in the studio is like, well, come over and look at it at my desk because it absolutely isn't. Well, we can't do that anymore. Yep. And in terms of the hiring, like I, I've been keeping an eye on to see how the kind of industry industry is changing because I would love to see a lot more studios adapt like a, a full-time or a part-time kind of hybrid or remote kind of um, structure. But I'm just not seeing that in the QA positions. Like everything I'm seeing is like, we're remote for now, but you're coming into the studio when, when things are back to normal, which I can put on one hand, I can completely understand. But then on the other hand, I just think about, this kind of conversation about like crunch and work-life balance and stuff like that and thinking about how great that would be for for QA if we could also have an opportunity to continue working from home um, sort of in a a longer term because like we talk about and maybe this is sort of bridging the conversation a little bit over to the conversation about crunch and stuff like that but I do think remote working would be a good way to try and to address that a little bit more honestly um, yeah, yeah, totally agree. Uh, and I even think, you know, when uh, studios, and it happens a lot, hire outsourced teams, you know, it's going to be in another country, they're working vastly different hours than we are uh, in, in a studio or remote like I am right now. You know, we, we already accept the fact that, hey, this is QA that works, and they work with us, even if they're not directly working with us you know it's like we can accept their reports and what they're giving us and you know and we can we can work that way like we know we know how it works and so it's an easy thing to accept it's just i i can see you know where studios say it's like yeah but we like having people in the studio it's like yeah i totally get that i prefer it too however it does work this way as long as we know how to break down that communication and make sure that we can go back and forth um I, I actually had an issue this week I was talking to an engineer about, uh, and, you know, it became screen sharing. You know, it's like, there's the there's the thing we can do. We're screen sharing, we're talking back and forth, and I'm, you know, clicking away on things to say, you know, this is what comes up. Uh, and the error itself was, like, flashing on the screen. Um, so we had a bit of a joke as to having to, like, try and uh, see how fast we were to actually grab a, a screenshot of the actual issue <laughs> as it was happening. Um, so, you know, it's like, but we still had the same, you know, level of working relationship, uh, even though we're 45 miles away from each other at the moment. Um, you know, technology is at a good spot. We can we can make this work. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about um, the, the ironic way that the pandemic has opened some doors while closing others in terms of, accessibility you know i think of i think of all the all the podcasts and games media that normally would have been like held in a studio in la or san francisco or new york and how you wouldn't really see too many guests outside of the core staff uh on those shows unless they were in the city visiting for something uh but now that like we're all you know on discord and skype and whatnot it is it is like hey it's 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 easy to get someone in there and you don't have to necessarily pay 
two thousand to three thousand dollars a month in rent mm-hmm. just to be in the right place you know um uh and yeah like i i i'm thankful too that like there's certainly still a huge problem with uh, uh, the toll that working from home has taken on a lot of people mentally, especially people who maybe live alone or without a uh, significant other, uh, uh, the the mental drain and the kind of feeling of isolation, even if you are uh, talking regularly to coworkers or friends. Um, it's that, that has probably been the most challenging part, even with a a partner, like, you know, in, in very close reach at all times. Uh, but the, the fact that like, I, I, especially because QA is so, um, entry level and thus you're often at minimum wage or slightly above minimum wage. Like there's no need to force someone to work for, 15 or even $20 an hour and force them to live in Los Angeles or the Bay area mm-hmm. or Vancouver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with that. And like, I, I've been, um, sort of talking a lot with people that aren't even in North America now, and they're talking about how much they've enjoyed, like all of the, the conferences and sort of virtual seminars that have been going on this year that they just wouldn't have had access to before because everybody has switched over to putting those things online, a lot of them for free. It means that they just, they can see these things that they could never see before because they, they don't have a company that can sponsor them to go and see them. So there's just so many opportunities that like, I know this past year has been terrible for so many reasons, but it's been exciting in terms of the way that it has really opened things up for a lot of people. Yeah, my uh, my viewers are probably sick of me telling this <laughs> brief story, but uh, one, one of my favorite like moments in, in all of games has been... Um, Oh, GDC 20, like 18, I think, or maybe 19. Uh, there was a giant wall that said like the, the games industry from around the world. And it had a map of the globe and it was like, Hey, take a red sticker and, and put it from where you are. And of course, lots of North America, a lot of Europe, uh, some, a lot of Asia. Uh, and then later on that day, uh, Rami Ismail, uh, famed indie developer was like, that is not the games industry. That is the games industry that can afford to come yeah. to San Francisco <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and and you're discounting like how many uh, aspiring or budding game developers. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's worth asking uh, one of the more common understandings about uh, the, the way a game takes shape is uh, that a game often looks nothing like the final product until the very last stretch, you know, or it doesn't function uh, perfectly until the final, you know, few months or year of uh, development. And that makes me wonder how um, uh, QA evolves as game development progresses. I imagine that like a lot of other uh, sides of a game development team, writing, coding, programming, production, etc., it's all cyclical and teams might be working on different things at different times. But uh, tell me a little bit about how that process evolves as uh, production on a game kind of crests into year one, two, or maybe even three. Ooh, I, here's the thing. There's always a plan and then almost <laughs> immediately throw the plan out the window. 
Yep. Exactly. <laughs> nothing ever runs to runs to schedule. What, and what's I, the what's the saying? No no plan survives first contact with the enemy. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And I, I loved that um thing you said earlier, Shane, about being great at disaster planning because that's absolutely what it is. It's rolling with the punches, seeing like and sometimes it's not that things are going wrong, it's just that things have now changed and everything that you've been planning to do for the last month or whatever is out the window. So QA is always very much coming in on a Monday morning and seeing where the land lies and being extremely quick on your feet to, to figure out what you're doing next. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Uh, thinking back to one project I was on, there was two of us who were doing uh, multiplayer co-op testing. Uh, and it was a tough slog for months and months and months. And then one day they said, this is cut. We're just not doing it. It's no longer a feature in this game. And both of us just sat there and said, so do we still have jobs? Like, and, and they're like, oh, yeah, like there's a ton that still needs to be taken care of. <laughs> We're just not going to worry about this now because we need everybody who's working on this to help out in other spots. Um, I, I find that, you know, early on in development, um, and I've, I've had this at EA, I had it at United Front, uh, and I have it at Eastside Games now as well. Um, early on, it can be a lot of paper and a lot of questions, uh, and that's the job. Uh, the questions and the answers that you get start to form, you know, what you plan on looking at later on when you can actually, like, officially test something. Um, but those questions are vital for understanding, you know, what people are expecting that their job actually is on the game. Uh, so do, when you say paper, like uh, in the way that maybe a game developer might create like a paper prototype of something, are you also kind of like pre-planning with paper in that way? Or am I, am I missing the mark there? Uh, in, in some ways it is, it does actually boil down to things being on paper that way and, and us looking at it. Uh, and in other ways, it's just like, you know, here's, here's my thoughts on how this feature is going to work and, you know, how things uh, are just written out and saying, you know, these are my lofty goals and this is what I expect to do for my time as, as a designer or as an engineer. Um, and, you know, and then QA, you know, who, whoever is lucky enough to be on at an early stage is like, have you thought about this or how, how is this supposed to work? And where does this actually fit in with, you know, the overall design of, of the game. Um, so it, it is a bit of both because we can, <clears throat> excuse me, I have seen, I have seen some games where they've literally put everything out on paper uh, on a table and said, this is how this works. And this is how this works. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and others where they've actually put together like a quick wireframe. This is our game. And this is what it'll look like. And sometimes, seriously, it's it's like six months. That's how the game looks. And then all of a sudden you start seeing the art pieces come in. You're talking about uh, seeing a game evolve. Uh, one of my favorite things working on a AAA title uh, back in the day was always looking at some of those really, really early bugs and just going, holy crap, I forgot that's what, you know, the, the map of the city looked like, or this is what the characters <laughs> even looked like. And you realize it's like, it's been such a slow evolution over sometimes years, like two, three years, 
that you look at it at the end and just go, man, it's like, this is like so far above and beyond what we were doing at the start. Um, this this gorgeous location that we just take for granted as the player was once nothing but gray box as far as the eye can see exactly yeah and you know it's like it's 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 amazing to look at it that way and uh, i can think of days where you know a new feature was put in and it's like you know the designer or the artist is like hey this is like the latest thing take a look at this and just sitting there going wow like <laughs> you know we could <laughs> see that step that you know uh, spending a year looking at the same blase whatever and then all of a sudden there's just that that one thing that just puts it over the top and you're just like you know i i think i'm proud to be part of this game now you know it's like it, it really hits that that point and um now i know after years it's like say that like say that out loud because that's exactly what um any designer and artist wants to hear is the person who's staring at this game you know for eight to 16 hours a day if they say this is it like this is this is great coming from somebody from qa and this is me being a little egotistical it sounds so much better than a producer saying it Um, because these are the one you know these are the people who are closest to the game they really are uh, and and so yeah, it's a it's a huge piece of feedback to be able to give that to someone. And it's sometimes a struggle to be able to see that when you're like so close to the product for so long, um, you forget that it's a like you genuinely forget that you it's a video game that you're working on at some point because sometimes you're just hammering on this like one tiny thing and trying to like smooth things out that you forget that this is supposed like as a job it's not supposed to be fun per se but the product at the end has got to be fun and it's sometimes really easy to forget that like I think some of my favorite times in QA is when we're doing play tests when we're not testing per se when we're just playing the game with sort of the rest of QA and the rest of the developers and the artists and stuff and you get to see what you as a collective had created and uh, though those sessions are still used to like have feedback and it's like oh we need to tweak this it's just like yeah these things are slowly coming together like I always really enjoyed when we were like prototyping like new stages and and stuff like that the first time you get to see something you're like wow this one's really cool and those sort of things and it really does kind of stick with you in a way that is different to as a as a gamer when you start a new game it's still very impressive but it's the fact that you have all this kind of background knowledge of what it took to get there in the (laughs) first place from those sort of prototypes way back sorry prototypes way back when that's might not even be anything like the game that you've now that you're now kind of like finalizing it's just crazy to sort of see that journey and know that you're getting to the the finish line and at one point that would have been like a, a relief you're like we made it we've gone gold but like now every game is like okay now on to patches now on to like live <laughs> services and stuff and it's like it doesn't end so it's really yep. it's really important i think to sit back and be like okay we did it this is 
good and I know that like disregarding like whether Metacritic hates it or whatever you know that there are going to pe be people that have fun with this game because there's a lot of gamers that don't sit on the internet all day and read all the reviews and stuff like that they just want to play something fun sort of either like engage in a story or they want to have fun with their friends and a product that we have helped put out there in the world is enabling that experience for them and that is that is so cool to me. Oh yeah, totally. Totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> hearing, hearing you guys discuss this all kind of reminds me of um, just like in the last year or so, I've been getting into 3D art, uh, learning voxel software. And I actually just purchased a pixel art software called a Sprite uh, for like 13 bucks on steam. And, <laughs> uh, the, the getting into those communities, I, I found the voxel art, uh, discord, uh, magical voxel, if anyone wants to check that out. And, uh, it, it's right when you, um, I can show my completed or even work in progress, uh, pieces to, uh, you know, friends on Twitter and like, you know, usually the reaction I get is like a nice, like, Oh, wow. You know, they really good. You know, that that's awesome. But, uh, when I present that to my peers in that particular community, the art, the voxel art community, they're able to uh, give that constructive criticism that exists on a different layer of like, as an artist, you kind of want to be not harsh, but like constructively critical of yourself. And when someone says hey like let me help you with that or like let me show you this trick that works for me uh or even just people who create like tutorial uh videos online showing like hey here's a few tricks i learned along the way it's it's almost like this um uh b benevolence uh sort of act to like uh, keep that knowledge cycling through the community in a way so it isn't lost and so that someone who comes in behind you uh can can advance through those first few rough steps uh, a little faster because of what you did prior to them i don't know if that makes sense yeah. but yeah yep actually it, it's funny uh thinking about tutorials like that uh from a qa standpoint you know it's like we have to be very very specific in putting down the steps to actually cause a bug to occur uh so when i when i'm going through tutorials it's like i can tell who has that qa mind uh when mm -hmm. they're putting together a tutorial because there's always like an assumption like you know you know the preferences for this software it's like no i really don't and no. it's like yeah. you know, if, <laughs> if you are talking about this and you don't talk about a specific thing then it's lost and you know that's an expectation that i have on on a qa team is you make sure that you are talking about this. And sometimes it's like, really, do I have to put down that this is the button you have to hit or this is where you tap on the on the iPhone? It's like, yes, you put that down because otherwise they're just going to be like, tap what? Like, I really don't know. This is not what yeah. I do. They could be looking at I, it, you know, on their computer and, you know, it's like, what do you mean tap? I click. It's. I, I was watching this. Sorry, I was watching this really great uh, Ace Sprites software tutorial, actually like the first one I found on YouTube and uh, this wonderful artist, uh, very well spoken, like very well produced video. It, it didn't seem like, you know, a crappy OBS, you know, capture or anything. And 
uh, he, he, he did this great job of like explaining each and every single button, um, which helped me like, you know, crisscross back and forth between the software and watching him on the screen, et cetera. And then the one thing that tripped me up, and I think this might've been like, a because of his, you know, European accent, uh, was he said, oh, and to do this press tap. And I'm like, what, what's tap? Uh, and I was like looking around the screen, like, where's he pointing? Like, where's he clicking? Okay. No, he's hitting a key. But what? There's no tap key, and I discovered later. Oh, that guy means tab, T A B. <laughs> and I was like, that one little thing, that one little thing, completely threw me off for like ten minutes. You know, yeah. And, and had to work back from that. You yeah. would be shocked how often just a tiny little thing like that just creates so much additional work from like misunderstanding and figuring out what the hell is going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's that's a good seg good enough segue uh to one of the kind of like last things i think we'll talk we'll touch on is just it's obviously different at every studio um and you know o over at east side it seems like you've got a really good handle on um how to respect and support uh members of that qa team and and deal with different situations like that but it seems like way too frequently you yeah you do hear about burnout and brain drain in the world of video game qa uh and even i as i was researching for this episode came across a couple of older news articles um when people had previously reported on qa uh like s such drastic examples as like game developers somewhere else on the team um intentionally messing with members of the qa team by like I don't know, uh, leaving in something that would be really aggravating so the QA team would have to log it and re-log it and, like, waste their time and just, I don't know, like, really trashy things that an HR department would, in theory, pull its hair out uh, mm -hmm. over. And I wonder, you know, what what has been your guys' experience um, and, like, what are the kinds of stories you've heard and what are the trends as far as uh, how quickly... Uh, studios are burning through QA employees? Um, I think that um, I personally haven't experienced any of those kind of sort, sort of really bad sort of situations, but I know that there kind of is this kind of overarching way in which video games are made that QA often does have to bear the brunt of the kind of worst problems with scheduling is very much like okay we're, we're trying to finalize this game for friday but we've got to put this additional thing in we need these fixes okay now this thing is also run so qa doesn't get like the final build until like midday on friday so now they've got to stay late or work over the weekend and it's it's never intentional absolutely like nobody wants to force other people to work through the weekend to kind of finish your game but it's just the way that I think it's the way that things have been done for a long time and so it's taking it's taking a while for kind of the kind of uh, the managers and the producers and directors and stuff like that to kind of adapt to these more kind of equality mindsets like Shane was saying earlier it's like sometimes when you start on a game there's not any QA personnel on the project for a long time because like right at the start in theory there's nothing to test so they're like well we don't need QA but it's like if you 
bake in your like quality mindset right at the start you're less likely to come across these problems towards the end because you're having somebody that's like yeah we're going to need like three more months than that to be able to finalize and stuff like that so that you don't come across these like really hard time crunches that are going to force your people to like be working like 100 hour weeks and, and stuff like that um i would say that's probably like the most egregious thing that is still happening um I I think things are always improving though. I think that genuinely everybody knows that it is not the the way to get the best work out of your people. Uh, obviously, it's really bad for PR. It's really bad when something like Cyberpunk its release came out and it was terrible and it's like not not terrible. It just needed a little bit more time. Um <laughs> but you have these things where the game is delayed and delayed and delayed and then there's all this crunch and then the game comes out and it's not where it needs to be and so that's really bad pr on the company and like i think that cd project red are gonna have to be sort of dealing with the ramifications of kind of this fallout for the next couple of years definitely their next title at the very least um so things are getting better all the time. I think relationship between QA and development is definitely getting better. I think, like I said, there's this uh, kind of divide where we're like, we don't need QA until the last moment. I think that's going away. I think we're getting brought into more of the conversations um, to kind of help with like the planning and stuff like that. I always love to hear when um, like a, Q a member of like the QA team is now crossed over into like a producer role because you know they're going to take all that like quality mindset with them and they're going to bake it in. So it's really helpful that QA doesn't have to like pull out like a megaphone and be like, please think of quality <laughs> because it's going to be there Help. from the very start. Yeah. Um, yeah, looking at the burnout i have i have worked uh on uh some titles where unfortunately you know it was just it was crunch for a very very long time uh qa team on on one game in particular it was we just watched that moving goalpost of a of a milestone uh and it was months and months and months and we started joking it was an alpha milestone that we we're trying to hit which is basically saying this is feature complete and it took us so long to actually be satisfied. And I say us, you know, the development team and the producers, you know, before they were satisfied that we had actually hit that milestone, that we were calling it Falfa because it was the <laughs> fifth, you know, it was basically the fifth time that we were like, here, this is it. And we had been, you know, working six, seven days a week most of the time, uh, 16 to 18 hours a day. And it was just, it was crushing to try and get through and it's not like then you take a break it's like okay now we know we can hit this date later on it's like oh can we uh and you know we just we just keep pushing um and you know in a lot of studios not all of them clearly not all of them uh Eastside is not this way thankfully um you know there are sprints where you know it's like two weeks this is everything we need to get done and then we can sign off on it and then after the two weeks, I go, okay, we're all done. This is the work that we said we'd get done. It's like, how did QA feel about it? It's like, we haven't taken a look at it yet. You didn't factor us into that two weeks. And it's like, oh, uh, okay, well, you know, take the weekend and get this done. It's like, well, great. <laughs> like, you know, great. now you're saying that to us, uh, you know, five o'clock on a Friday that, you know, we're going to take the weekend to sort this out. And it's like, 
if it even if it is just two weeks work that the development team has put together it's a lot to put onto a qa team and you know and it can happen especially in a crunch culture for months and it just goes on and on um it's yeah it's a it's a little crazy uh fortunately with uh east side we're we're better at that uh and you know lucky to have former qa people in various roles in the studio um so you know they're like man been there you know totally get it um and you know and they have that respect for qa because they've been you know as we say through the trenches uh and they you know they're they're in a different position now within the studio or you know on the development team and they can understand that uh, I'm working with associate producers and lead designers who were QA at one point in their career. Um, and that's part of the mentoring that I do is actually, you know, if you if you want to move into a different role in the studio, you know, here's some of my steps that I expect you to take in order for me to say you'd be good in this role. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> And I I love that. Like like I was saying, like right back at the start, it's like QA is often seen as like a stepping stone to something else. And it can be frustrating to sort of have these people on your team that are like not they they're not really there. Like they're doing QA but they want to be somewhere else. But mm. I feel like because we are now able to have more of this mentality of like, well, quality is everybody's responsibility. Like if you're not on the QA team, you still have to care about your product, right? Yep. So we're now in a position where we can mentor developers, we can mentor the de designers. And so if we're having people on our team that are already sort of like within our QA team that are inspiring to go somewhere else, we can instill these kind of values of quality in them so that they take that with them. So then they can sort of help infect everybody else with this kind of, let's think about quality. Let's try and do this from the ground up. So then we're not five o'clock on a Friday telling people, Hey, this hasn't been looked at by anybody. We've not even thought about like quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, um, the the transferability of skills between you know different disciplines both in like game development and games media and pr and other kind of comms roles and it's it's very interesting to see like what kinds of companies and leadership uh recognize that sometimes yes the the skills you learn on something like qa can be transferred to a role such as a producer because you're you're taking not just the basics of of leadership and project management but also a respect and understanding for what the other side of this uh process looks like right and uh, more on like the media side of things i think a lot about how i i have a lot of friends and even myself have like been kind of turned down from uh games pr jobs because it's like well you like you haven't worked uh, as a like public relations rep for you know five plus years, and it's like you do realize that ninety five percent of what I do day to day is exactly the same <laughs> things that you do, uh, and in fact, I have a respect for the other side of this coin that will help me help better inform whatever strategy we cook up, right? So it always kind of warms my heart. Yeah. When I hear someone from QA got to go to a producer role, because that really is a big step up. And, and when a QA team knows that like, Hey, this guy on this guy or this person understands the grind that we have to go through that makes their job so much easier. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I still get hands-on uh, with projects. Uh, I will go in and test. I was, uh, we were actually looking at an issue last night. Um, and, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I, I'd already, you know, said to the team that I'm more directly working with at the moment, I'd already said, you know, hey, my day's done. Something came up and so I'm like, okay, I'm back. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, and, and worked for like another four hours just so we could, you know, get a resolution. Um, I, I still do that because I, I want my team to know I don't feel like I'm above them in such a way that I feel elitist with my role in the studio. Um, and, you know, for me, it also makes it easier when I'm, you know, actually hands-on with the, the, the games that we have, that I have a better and clearer understanding of those games. Um, that's, that's a big part of the job for me. Uh, I need to have that because I don't want to be making decisions and have them be very, very poorly informed decisions. Um, cause I've, I've seen where that's gone in the past, uh, at, at other <laughs> studios and, and even I would say in some ways with, uh, with what's happened with cyberpunk, you know, I, I really do feel like, you know, there was decisions that were made along the way that's, you know, this is this is what they ended up shipping, uh, you know, and thinking more about the PS4 and uh, Xbox One versions of the the game, you know, it's like, wow, we didn't realize how bad it was. It's like there was decisions made, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I've been there uh, and I, you know, I know some of the, you know, the the conflict that goes back and forth when that happens. But, you know, there was decisions made. And unfortunately, uh, this is what happens. Um and and thinking, you know, there's I've been on teams where it's like, this is this is something that only one out of a hundred thousand people are going to hit. You have a team of ten QA looking at it, and they go, you know, one of you one of you discovered this thing, but you know, it's like one in a hundred thousand people are going to hit this. And there was ten million plus digital copies of Cyberpunk that sold. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? One in a hundred thousand people—that's a lot, you know. And you have to start getting in that mentality that this is going to be seen by a lot of people. Like we just have to, we have to sort that out and figure out how we're going to fix it or when. Yeah, it's very much a case of like, how do we upset the least amount of people, or how do we affect the le- the least amount of people? Like, obviously, like a hard crash is a big problem, mm-hmm. but if if like 10% of people get a hard crash, that's a big problem. But if like 50% of people like that this particular skin doesn't work properly, more people are going to see it, but it's not going to affect their kind of opinion of the game as much as it would be this game doesn't even like load up or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm thinking, not a game I worked on, thankfully, um, but you know, the QA, the QA lifestyle just never goes away. You play a game, you find bugs. Uh, yeah. a big a big open world title that came out quite some time ago now but is still very popular today uh, I remember one of the patches that they uh, put out um, there was a very sp- specific way that you could affect the camera that would crash the game and it was one of those things it's like oh does this do it and it's like yep that crashed the game start the game up again do it again yep that crashes the game it's like huh that's really easy to come across and yet yeah. this is in the latest patch it's like well, yeah, you know. it's the QA curse. I feel like it's like you pick up these habits via QA about how to like <laughs> navigate menus and stuff like that. And you just continually just like, I, th- I feel like especially 
like UI menuing games, huh. if you go through it way too fast, you're going to break it. Yep. Just because no normal user would use a menu menu in this way, but because of like your QA and you're used to having to go through the same menu in the same way all the times, you get really fast at memorizing what options are in menus and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to break stuff. It's, and you're just like, I have been working all day. I just want to play a video game. And now I'm thinking about like, how do, how is this reproducible? What should I put in a bug report? And it's just like, no, I want to switch off. <laughs> yeah. Knowledge, the the greatest curse of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a is. it's a very Cthulhu esque kind of conundrum, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh well guys i want to thank you so much for taking a lot of time out of your day to talk about this um before we wrap up you know uh, any other aspects of the qa process uh or or the the work um the career uh that you think that you know for folks listening to this show be they just casual players or actually game developers themselves any other aspects of uh misunderstandings of qa that they should be thinking about as they uh, uh, play more games and make more games. I think, hey gamers, please be kinder to us. <laughs> it's, not all of, yeah. <laughs> it's not all our fault. It's, a, it's kind of, you can't point the finger in any one direction, honestly. Like it's a big group effort of like hundreds of people. Like honestly, when these games come out, you can't say it's any one person's fault that conversation about cyberpunk uh I, I kind of got caught up in it as well but honestly these things happen and i i do believe that cd project red are going to make good on fixing up the game and and maybe mm -hmm. sort of a year from now everybody will have the experience that they they wanted to have and it's the same with sort of like bethesda games everybody complains when they come out that they're buggy it's like we know they're going to be buggy and people are still playing skyrim now so it obviously mm -hmm. didn't matter that much right mm -hmm. um so yes please be kinder to qa and um to people that might be aspiring to be in qa i would say it is so much fun like i think that the people that you work with within QA, there's like a real like brothers in arms kind of feeling, like the comradeship of kind of sitting in the trenches and getting through these things. Like I, out of all the jobs I've ever had, definitely working on QA teams has, has been amazing. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm gonna uh, repeat something that Chloe said uh, earlier on. Um, the bugs that you see go out, uh, you'd be amazed at the ones that actually got fixed. Uh, <laughs> I have worked on projects that, you know, hit 76, 77, 80,000 bugs. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot that have, that's actually been fixed. And so, you know, it could have been worse. Um, yep. <laughs> and, you know, with that, it's like... QA is not the easiest job, but it's one of those ones where you get to understand every aspect of game development. Um, you, you as a QA person can become uh, more knowledgeable in how the game functions than anyone else on the development team, um, because uh, part of your job is that you touch every area. Um, I still don't know why, but I was always... Uh, 
commended for my ability to know where crash reports, like who should get them uh, when the game crashed. It's like, this is rendering, this is physics, this is whatever. <laughs> I don't know how I did it. I just like figured it out one day. Uh, I am not an engineer, and I <laughs> repeat that often to engineers. Like, do not <laughs> let me touch code because I will mess things up. <laughs> Actually, admittedly, I did that once. I was helping out with localization, and I broke the entire game, which shouldn't be possible when <laughs> oh, you just dear. translate languages. Um, but yeah, that I did it. Coding. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it can be tedious work. It is not always we're just playing the game from nine till nine. <laughs> if there's a lot of overtime, it's not just playing the game. Uh, it can be very, very tedious work, but everybody in QA, when they are dedicated to the job and they're dedicated to shipping their games, they're a game changer. They are dedicated to making the game better and making sure that for the most part, it's fun when it gets out there. And yeah, uh, Cyberpunk is going to be much, much better. They're going to continue working on it. Uh, they know the issues. I recognize, I can watch a YouTube video and say, yep, seen it, seen it, seen it, uh, mm -hmm. over and over and over again. I can play Grand Theft Auto and see some of the same bugs happen. You know, it's, it's just a question as to, you know, getting the time to actually put them, put, put all the pieces together. It's a big puzzle. And there was a lot of people who worked on Cyberpunk. They'll get there. Uh, I'm excited. Um, to see it when it's finally in a good good state. <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, one of my favorite terms to kind of come out of this whole conversation and the research uh, is bug triage, and you know the the process of of figuring out which bugs are we going to address first. Like, what are the most important things, and what are the things that we can live with in our uh, our our 1.0 release of the game? Of course, and uh, hearing the word bug triage, of course, makes you think of uh, something like an emergency services worker, you know, holding down some someone's wound being like this is going to get messy but we're gonna get through it i promise <laughs> yep. uh, yeah uh, yep. so when when you think about qa next time in a the, your favorite game that you're playing uh, make sure to to thank a qa worker for all the the effort that they put in uh chloe shane thank you so much for taking all this time uh lending your expertise to the community uh i hope that any uh fans of the show whether you are just a player or an actual game dev uh, i hope you've learned something from this i hope that this has given you a new appreciation for uh the the hard hard work that goes into games uh, from the qa side uh chloe where can people uh follow you on social media and find your work with uh, QA quest. Uh, so I have a, I have so many different Twitters and so many. So my website <laughs> is uh, QA Quest. That's QA-Quest.com, or I have a Twitter for that as well, which is QA underscore Quest, because apparently hyphens aren't allowed on Twitter. And then you can find me and some more of my personal stuff at Astaris, which is A S T H A R I S. And Shane, how about you? Uh, where can people find your work and follow along with you? Um, I really don't have much when it comes to social media. I have Twitter, at uh, Shane Elliott. That's, that's me. Uh, opinions it's a are blessing my in own. disguise, trust me. <laughs> yeah, opinions are my own. Uh, I, I talk about goofy things more than anything and complain about hockey because I am Canadian. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's you know the only thing Canadians complain about. I don't even complain about the cold. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for me. Otherwise, it's uh, just checking out your uh, 
Yeah, your latest mobile games, anything from Eastside Games, uh, I've I've been in there, uh, making sure that they're fun. I actually had a, I had a lot of fun uh, going through Eastside Games' uh, websites, um, <laughs> just just being like, oh yeah, that uh, the the Trailer Park Boys mobile game, like love it. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, and folks, you can find the 1099 at the 1099 podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, I am loving Google Podcasts lately. It just it's clean. It's it's nice. Uh, and make sure to leave a review and rate the show. That helps us climb the charts. Uh, and if you like the show, please feel free to share it around on social media, tag us, let us know what you thought and make sure to support Chloe and Shane and all their work. Chloe, Shane, thank you again. Thank Thank you. you so much.